finished his Master of Arts in Media Studies. It's on the Sensitive Male Comic and the Boys Club of Stand-Up Comedy. Well, thank you. And I'm really glad you shot from the hip there. I did. I shot, I shot directly from the hip. And speaking of shooting, Steve Coleman once shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. To his left, or his right, my left, is Sean Glynis. He's been to Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's been to Bloomington, Indiana. He went to San Francisco, California, and then he slept on my couch because someone forgot to pay the electric bill while he was gone, and he needed to charge his iPad. How are you doing today, Sean? Hi, Steve. Sorry I didn't say thank you. <laughs> it's okay. You're just a son of a bitch, and I hate you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea how comfortable that couch is? That is an incredible couch to sleep on. I do. I woke up with no no back aches at all. None. I can vouch for that. See? Yeah. See? And you gave me a satin pillow. I did give you a satin pillow. Because I, I want you, I want you to feel like like a like a sexual being when you're laying on my couch. Well, as, yeah, as soon as you went to your room, women just kept knocking on the door. It wouldn't stop. Yeah, it was weird. It was really weird. <laughs> it's crazy. You sleep on my couch and people are banging on the door. Can I please rub my genitals on your pillow? They're not actually interested in you. They just want to touch the pillow. Oh yeah, they made that clear. Uh, hi. How are you guys doing? It's Great. been so long. I've missed you. I've yeah. been I've been writing you letters and and just crying to myself alone and so it's been really tough. But it's okay. Things are looking up. It's a holiday weekend. It's Labor Day. This is a very important dad holiday. Mm-hmm. This is where the dads break out the grill and they they grill their dad burgers, which is a burger that's been cooked for too long and it's kind of like bloated in the middle and tastes like shit. Uh, <laughs> they're overcooked steaks because mom wants them all done medium well because she's afraid of salmonella and they just they taste like garbage too. <laughs> and a big part of a dad holiday weekend like this is watching dad movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how convenient is it that Optimism Vaccine right now, at this very moment, is working on a dad article about dad movies? So I just I just wanted to talk with you guys a little bit about dad movies. What the fuck makes a dad movie, Sean? Can you mm-hmm. tell me about dad movies, please? Um, I can try. Uh, I feel like I feel like there's not a whole lot of uh, overt. Um, definitions out there of them so the way that I can describe them is it has to be it's important that they are movies that non-intellectual baby boomer fathers um, enjoyed perennially I think that's a pretty good definition mm-hmm. um, I mean I like to think of dad movies as pornography I know one when I see one that's usually what I, <laughs> when I go by I'm not sure you just you kind of get this feeling like you know there's there's common yeah, themes yeah, that yeah. just kind of that kind of come back again and again like does your movie have John Wayne in it? Congratulations, yeah. it's a dad movie. Does mm-hmm. it have Lee Marvin in it? Congratulations. Does it have Steven Seagal in it? Oh, Steven Seagal is an excellent choice. Um, Steve, uh, what, what do you what do you think here? Can you weigh in on the on dad movies? What makes a dad movie? Well, I very much agree with Sean's assessment, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing my dad movie after you guys share your dad movies I just want to share my dad with all you guys <laughs> I know, so I think uh, when the article comes out it's it's a group piece and I think a lot of a lot of writers are going to be talking about um, dad movies that that relate to a personal experience with their own dad 
Uh, I'm personally more interested in the genre or subgenre or sub subgenre <laughs> of dead movies. And one of the things that I'm always intrigued by that um, uh, even even recently in movies that are kind of like neo dad movies, if we like restrict dad movies to a period, yeah, you know, like pertaining to our own childhood, um, is this device that that happens in like dad movies like. Under Siege, for example, or The Rock, or most recently, like, those uh, President movies, Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down, uh, where there's, like, there's, they get the women out of the way early. That, that's, <laughs> that's very important. In one way or another. It's, it's, it's not always in the same fashion, but they always do something that, uh, so, in The Rock, for example... You see Nicolas Cage and is it is it Rosie Perez? I, I can't remember. It might be. I mean, that's that's prime like Rosie Perez era. So yeah, I can't. Be. I feel bad because it might not be. But um, so sorry if you're in the Rock. No, if the you, first you're, you're a terrible person. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Keep talking. Um, <laughs> I really want to do a Rosie Perez impression right now. <laughs> do, you, do you have one? I don't. It's it's <laughs> actually what are you? It's actually not Rosie Perez. Um, but anyway. Uh, so there's a scene in The Rock where in the in the beginning before uh, I can't remember his name Godspeed um, Nicholas Cage's character has sex mm-hmm. with or is having sex with his fiance um, on the roof of their place and shortly um, into the scene they get interrupted by a phone call where where Nick Cage has to report to some <clears throat> terribly important business. Um, it happens in Under Siege um, in a different way where they have a woman coming out of a cake um, in the beginning <laughs> after Gary Busey dresses up like a woman in strips. Which is beautiful, by the way. <laughs> um, it, it's, it happens in a different fashion in The Olympus Has Fallen where Aaron Eckhart, um, who was married to Ashley Judd, I believe it was, um, mm-hmm. In the first, in the first like ten or fifteen minutes, it's dedicated solely to a car crash that they were in that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. But you must know that she dies, and she's no longer there. Um, so, the main purpose of this is to make sure, make the audience know that these characters are not homosexual. Yeah, that's very important. <laughs> very, very because important. the re- because it's important because the rest of what they're going to be doing mm-hmm. is very homosocial desirable things with one another because mm-hmm. they have to team up with another guy yeah. and they have to do things they have like you know important sensitive sweaty man moments together but we got to know that like they like you know putting their dicks in chicks right right yeah we have to know that even though Gary Busey and and Jack <laughs> Nicholson or not Jack Nicholson Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones um clearly like each other very much mm-hmm. they yeah. they wanted to watch that stripper mm-hmm. exactly like each other in a completely platonic way, <laughs> totally not sexually attracted to each other. No, that, that's that's very important. I think, yeah, you you have to in, in order to create a dad movie, you have to establish that one, this dad doesn't like other dads. <laughs> this dad's looking for moms, and two, um, they they always sort of gravitate towards this like one lone justice seeking man against the world mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, you see that in a lot of Steven Seagal movies. Uh, a lot of the old John Wayne movies are that way, uh, but yeah, it's it's important to have the the lone everyman who's who's just looking to save the world because the dads can relate because you know they're mowing the lawn, they're they're grilling the burgers, 
And they're just, they, you know, they're average Joe, average Joe, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. want to blow shit up too right. and do karate. Yes, they, they they are contingent on a very individualistic ethos throughout the thing. But uh, before we go further, we should make it clear that dad movies have nothing to do with characters that are dads. Yeah. It's not about being a dad. So when you Google dad movies and you get a BuzzFeed list, it's like, what are the best dad movies? And it's like no. World War Z because he's such a great dad in real life, too. Or cheaper by the dozen. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck that. That's not a dad movie. My dad does not give a fuck about cheaper by the dozen. At all. <laughs> at all. So yeah, when we talk about dad movies, we're talking about, you know, when, when your dad took you to Blockbuster Video or whatever movie rental place and... You know, you got whatever the fuck you were getting, and then he would he would grab his movie after you went to bed. Yeah, cliffhanger. Yeah, so dad grabs cliffhanger, and you grab Clifford. I mean, that's <laughs> oh god, <laughs> that, that's I, usually how it goes. Did I ever gl- grab Clifford? Did I ever grab Clifford? That's a very good movie, actually. I like Clifford yeah, a lot. It is. Those, that's that's one of my uh, my shameful '90s comedies that I that I love. I also like John Leguizamo in The Pest for huh. some reason, which makes me a terrible person. Uh, Steve, do you have any any dad insight that you'd like to add? I really wanted to talk about <laughs> Mr. Destiny, oh, starring James Belushi. Oh, tell me more. I've never because seen it before. Because I think that you know, if we're talking about dad movies, and if they don't always necessarily have to be action films, I feel like Jim Belushi is the ultimate dad actor, mm-hmm. at least as far as comedy, and only. That only dads think he's funny right. or can accept him. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, I'm reading about Mr. Destiny while you guys are talking about the fact that dad movies don't feature main characters who have kids. He doesn't have kids in this movie, whether it's in the real rea- it's in the actual reality of his character or in the alternate <laughs> reality. I don't remember much about this movie, <laughs> but um, yeah. I didn't contribute to this article, so that's why I'm <laughs> kind of at it's a okay. loss. It's okay. Um, but Mr. Destiny is my dad movie. I think and that's that's fair. It's interesting to note Michael Caine is is plays is billed second under Jim Belushi in this movie. Wow, seriously? When, Even when though did he's come out? the titular character, this right. came out in 1990. Huh? Jesus. Uh, Twenty million dollar budget made about fifteen and a half million. So. I Hell think of a flick. Just a like, bunch of dads uh, went together alone to see this, and that was it. Yeah. It's like uh, I had an ill-fated destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and you could John, almost say it was destined to fail. <laughs> it features John Lovitz as the ladies' man. Oh, well, that's good. Because women love John, John Lovitz. Lovitz. Yeah. yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say, uh, before we move on, um, I like to think of dead movies existing in three um, big genres. Mm-hmm. Uh that's the action movies like we've talked about, like The Rock and like Under Siege, and yeah, and and then there are the comedies. Uh, every dad loves a good comedy. You know, there has to be a little bit of gross out. Uh, usually, very misogynistic, uh, very boys clubby stuff. I like to think of Major League, um, and then I also think sports movies play a big dad category. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which and the sports movies make sense because I mean, if you look at what makes a dad movie in any genre, and then you look at, like, Rocky IV. Like, Rocky IV is the dad movie blueprint. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> it's got the patriotic angle. It's got the one man against all odds. You know, you push Adrian huh. out of the way. Cause, uh, so, yeah, I think sports movies are a great example. 
and you start and to it's see a sport. these yeah. Yeah, it's a sport I mean boxing you know uh, one movie and I'm not writing about this movie but um, it, it always stuck out to me as kind of a weird dad movie because when I was growing up my dad would he would go and see movies and this this persisted this continues to this day if I were to call my dad right now I'd say hey dad what have you been up to and he would say I went to the movies and I saw this and it's just something that just came out so good. I saw We're the Millers and I, was, and I go <laughs> how was that and he goes oh shit because of course because it it's was. We're the Millers yeah. yeah I mean good job um, but it doesn't matter if it's good or bad he thinks it's shit and then, and then he goes, yeah, it's not like... And then he starts talking about The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, <laughs> which is a John Ford-directed Western starring uh, Lee Marvin and John Wayne. So it's like super dad. And this has always persisted throughout my that's life. That's his template. Yeah, that's his movies. template. He, he talks about the movie constantly, and every time he talks about it, it's like he's never told me about it before, even though, I mean, he's literally been telling me about, me about it since I was probably like three, so about 25 straight years of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> The only time, and, oh, and he sings the song too. Uh, is it Gene Pitney? I think sings the man who shot Liberty Valance the song, and, and he can will he, sing. Can he sing it for us? Uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, he shot Liberty Valance. I'm doing a dance right now too, but he'll, my father does it much better. But he will always sing the song for you. <laughs> the only time he has deviated from just talking about this shit like I've never fucking heard it before. I told him. Uh, when I, this is back when I was in undergrad in college, and I said, "Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I got the teaching program, and I'm going to be an English teacher." And he's like, "Oh, that's great! You've got to see this movie." And I was like, "How are you going to tie Liberty Valance into uh, teaching, Dad? Where, how are we, we going to do this?" But it was one eight seven. No, it was actually it's it's a movie called uh, Class of 1984. <laughs> uh, now, this is a very very strange thing coming from my father. Class of 1984 was released in 1982. He told me I had to see it, and then he said, you know, most horror movies are shit, but this one's really good. So this is weird, because my, my dad has never had any interest in horror movies. So, I mean, in his defense, well, sort of in his defense, it's not actually a horror movie. He just thinks it is for some reason. Um, it's a movie about this, like, straight-laced white bread teacher from, like, Iowa or something, and he comes to some inner-city school district... And there's this this gang of uh, drug dealing punk rockers who like rule the school, and it's 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 horrible. I mean, it's just like they go around like selling drugs, raping women, and killing people essentially. Right. So then the teacher snaps, and he fights back, and he and he like kills all the kids. It's basically. like falling down. Meets, yeah, it's meets it's falling down minds. meets uh, dangerous minds or like blackboard jungle. Yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, at one point, and, and I think it's important in dad movies to remember that they like violence, but they don't like gratuitous stuff. And there's a part where, like, he, he gets the punk rocker in shop class, and he just, like, saws him in half with a fucking, like, wood saw. Which is <laughs> pretty heavy duty for a dad movie. Uh, and I also like that his immediate response to, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher, was, sure, son, watch this first. Right. So, uh, <laughs> when he saw Schindler's List, was he like, you know, there's no Liberty Valance, I like shootouts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that was his exact response. I did like it because it was black and white. <laughs> um, the other side needed guns. Yeah, but you know, again, it was it was like even in this in this movie that's totally undad on the surface, class of 1984. You still get this element of like the lone heroic white dad figure, like you know, against against the world, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was interesting to see that you know 
coming through. And then I looked up the director, and it turns out the director is the um, the same guy who later did the movie Commando, which is a, a dad classic. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. clearly, clearly a dad director. All right, uh, we're gonna move on. We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, Devo because the year is like 1982 or some shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Sick burn. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Steve. I love you, and I love Devo. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so, Steve, you recently, you went to a Devo convention. I think I gave you shit on the last podcast for going to Ohio. You went to Ohio again. Yes. And you went to Cleveland. a Devo convention. Can, can you tell Cleveland, me? Cleveland, Ohio for, uh... Tell me about the butthole that is Cleveland. Well, <laughs> there's really not much to say about Cleveland, although I actually liked it. I actually consider myself an Ohio fan. Uh, you so son of a bitch. For all those people... <laughs> Listening in Akron and uh, <laughs> Kent and Cuyahoga Falls. Shout out to Columbus. I love you all. Um, no, I mean, it was a very, it's a very, I felt very warm area of this country. Mm-hmm. Although, it seems like a lot of people who are actually from Ohio are very apathetic about where they're from. Um, yeah. You ask for, like, hey, what's a cool thing to do around here? And they're kind of like, I don't know. What are you even doing here? <laughs> How did you um, get, did you take a wrong turn? <laughs> but uh, being there, uh, I guess, two weekends ago for the uh, devotional fan gathering of 2014. Oh, I get it. That's some good branding there. Yeah. It was, uh, I've never been to, and I, to bring a broader understanding of this sort of event, I've never been to like a Comic Con or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this was a, a gathering of very dedicated Devo fans, and um, I have never experienced anything like this before. Um, I think it was a pretty small gathering. Um, I would say it was a two-day event. There were maybe about just over a hundred people there. Holy shit, that and, is small. Yeah, and it was. Um, you know, thirty-five dollars for tickets. So, not bad. There's, huh? But there's no way that they no, they didn't make any money, any at all. sort of profit. And it was at done. this uh, legitimate rock club called the Beachland Ballroom in Cleveland. And um, you know, Devo, I really just off the top of my head, other than like some something shitty like Kiss, like I can't think of any band that would involve fans participating in cosplay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of that, at least as far as like Devo is concerned, is just people wearing you know energy domes, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know are the plastic helmets that they're yeah. known for wearing. The red ones sometimes are mm-hmm. blue. Well, so, I mean, n- not to not to contradict your point, Steve, but I know when Sean went to uh, Mudvania, he definitely uh, painted his face for that. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's just Kiss and Devo, but go go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, there's also the Slipknot. The slip- I thought only the group on Facebook I was in knew about that. <laughs> Whereas, of course, the uh, annual Slipknot Fuck Fest in Iowa. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Um, I haven't had a chance to go to that. Or, I guess, Gathering of the Chuckalos, which yeah. is a legitimate thing. I hate to compare that to... De- yeah. I'm not going to compare that to Devotional, or Devo, for that matter. But um, they had an interesting list of guests. Uh, a lot of it was just bands that were from Ohio. They had a few bands from uh, L.A. come in, like Fart Barf. Oh! Fart Barf was there. Um and uh, <laughs> there's your thirty-seven dollars right there. Yeah, yeah, just to pay for their flight to come in. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't want to talk bad. I don't think anybody who actually was there is going to be listening to this. But like, um, it was a very 
like I said, very intimate gathering of very mm-hmm. passionate fans, and I did not expect that at all. And people yeah. are like selling like their Devo original artwork, oh, wow. um, and just like any Devo memorabilia that they had, like records, T-shirts. Um, I bought a few buttons. Uh, and then uh, Jerry from Devo was there and gave a Q and A. Oh, that's cool. What's his last name? <laughs> Jerry Casale. God damn it. <laughs> I'm always paranoid. I've been a fan of Devo's for over half my life, but I'm always concerned that I'm not pronouncing his last name right. <laughs> and I, just, I didn't even get the joke. The last thing I need is somebody who was at this actual convention to listen to this and tell me, like, hey, what the fuck, man? Yeah. At least pronounce his last name right. So, anyway, he was there, gave him a Q&A, and... Um, Really, just talked a lot of shit about other bands. Oh, uh, that's fun. Mostly, uh, he talked about bands he's directed videos for, like Foo Fighters, uh, Soundgarden, and Rush, and just <laughs> made it evident that they were all very difficult to work with. They were pricks. Yeah, uh, it was beautiful. It was great. Hmm. I loved every second of it. And that question was from somebody asking him, "Hey, who have you had the most fun collaborating with?" And he didn't have an answer. He oh. really just kind of like... So Getty Lee's a pile of shit. Yeah, exactly. I think those were not verbatim his words, but yeah, Getty Lee was just kind of like, not difficult to work with, but just kind of a pain in the ass. More Although like, Neil Pert was a dick. I can believe that. I and yeah. That. More um, like Getty Lost. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, man. Oh, um, <laughs> he also talked a lot of shit about Mark Mothersbaugh, the other oh, founding member that's of weird. Devo. Was he like, fuck Rugrats? Or like, what was his... No. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just sort of innocent stuff, and he's done this in interviews as well, but where mm-hmm. he's like, hey, I really want to do more stuff with Devo, but I'm always kind of held back because Mark is too busy doing other shit, and he's... Yeah. Relevant things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I really wanted to get a picture with him, but I didn't get a chance. That was kind of like my oh. disappointing moment of the weekend. I took... Help take pictures for several fans in line, and then by the time I got to <laughs> meet Jerry, it was just so awkward. And yeah. he, was he was like, "Fuck you, Blondie," and then he just walked away. Pretty much. I mean, he said it with his eyes. <laughs> he said it with his. Eyes. He said it with his eyes, and uh, like he was being very patient and accommodating with the fans. But I think his handler was getting kind of restless. Yeah, was, okay. like his handler, his manager. And, uh, sorry, I'm rambling a lot right no, now. No, it's fine. But, uh, well, it's it's interesting that you describe this because normally when we think of like um, like fan festivals or whatever. You think of these big giant gatherings, you think of things like Comic Con, but really there's different there's different levels of, of fan conventions. So what you went to is really intimate, really small. I'm sure you actually got to know a lot of people. Like, yeah. Um, I mean people that I legitimately became friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got home and I had you know, ten friend requests on Facebook and well, friend requests that I sent out too. Um, so yeah, I met some really Great people. Yeah, and, and that type of thing, I mean, that doesn't happen at San Diego Comic Con. So right. you get something like that. Um, last, I guess it was March or April, I went to uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic, which is kind of like a mid size uh, retro video game convention. And I mean, I didn't make any BFFs, but at the same time, it was, you know, it was it was more of an intimate convention well, it's, setting. It's less, uh, it sounds like these two are less about sh- people showing off that they know more about. This whatever whatever is centered at the convention than you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
It's yeah, more about this, community. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I think the bigger the bigger your convention gets, the less it becomes about fans and community, and the more it becomes about you're a consumer by my shit. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's uh, that's what Comic Con is. I, I'm sure San Diego Comic Con is a lot of fun, but at the same time, it's also a big fat fucking commercial for whatever the hell is you know coming out next, so the next Marvel movie or whatever. Um, or anything else, video games. Uh, I mean, Comic Con does everything. That's it's barely about comic books. Uh, so it's it's cool that there's still these small conventions where you can kind of feel that sense of community because I, mm-hmm. I don't think that really it probably doesn't exist at Comic Con. No. Comic Con's more of like a spectacle at this point, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic. There was no one-upmanship. Everybody was just kind of there celebrating the same thing, and I think that that was. Pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's nice too. Nice. Well, yeah, because it's—I mean—it's like super concentrated too, because it's just Devo. It's not just—it's not like you know, New Wave Bonanza or something, or <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you know, whatever they would fall under. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, you guys, you guys want to move on to the uh, the next uh, thingy or yeah. sure. thingy by thingy? I mean, category. Good job, Steve. You're so well spoken. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Hey, while well, you assholes were on vacation. Uh, Robin Williams passed away. Yeah. And in the the grand tradition of us not being relevant whatsoever, uh, let's be the last podcast on the face of the earth to actually talk about this. Um, We want to talk about what Robin Williams should be remembered for as far as his movies go, uh, as opposed to what he will be remembered for. Because I don't know about you guys, but right after he died, uh, there was just article after article after article. And there was the obvious things like Mrs. Doubtfire. And then there were people like, what we should have learned about Robin from What Dreams May Come. It's like, yeah, the only <laughs> thing I learned is fuck that movie because I fucking hate it. It's a pile of dog shit. And that's not saying anything about him. He's great. But let's not think about Bicentennial Man right now. <laughs> or Flubber ever again. Or Flubber. Or basically anything in about like a, like a ten year span with a few exceptions. Um, so Sean, if, if you could... If you could say, hey, you know, this is this is what Robin Williams should be remembered for, or, you know, talk about something that maybe he doesn't get enough credit for, yeah, what, would you, yeah. what would you say? Yeah, I'm going to take the latter road because, I mean, obviously some of the things that are, that are, um, you know, taking center stage for him right now, he has his due for those. Like, his performance in Goodwill Hunting is amazing, and Aladdin, it's amazing, but <clears throat> ones that sort of uh, go go under, under the current... Um, in Woody Allen's Deconstructing Harry in the mid '90s, he has he one of the vignettes in the movie is about him, and it's a real it's it's my favorite part of the movie, um, where he plays a he plays an actor in a film and he's always soft, um, which um, he's always out of focus, mm-hmm. and even when the camera's not on, and um, it's it's just a a great little. Great little piece, and if you haven't seen that movie, it's worth checking out for other reasons as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also I, I've always been a fan of uh, Mike Nichols' The Birdcage, um, which Robin Williams isn't. Uh, he's not the biggest actor in it, mm-hmm. uh, but he's really good in it, and it's a really good movie. It's 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 funny, and he he has some like monologues that are sort of they're almost like asides in the movie, but. But they speak to Robin Williams' career in larger ways. Um, I think that's worth worth checking out. And for honorable mention, um, The Fisher King by Terry Gilliam is is one movie that uh, 
I saw it at an indelible age when I was coming into my own in terms of watching movies. And that movie um, and his performance as like this bum uh, really struck me. And I don't know. It's worth checking out. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because if, if I had to pick like my Robin Williams movie or whatever, um, I would definitely go with The Fisher King. I, uh, it's just, it's, it's a really, really good performance. And then when you, when you read about it after the fact, like what him and Terry Gilliam went through to kind of like pull that performance out of him, uh, there's this one part in the movie where, cause, you know, he plays like kind of a, a crazy guy who sees this, um, this like figure, this night figure that comes after him. And so there's this really, really important outside shot where he's running away and he's screaming, he's crying, he's like hysterical. And it's really powerful in the movie. When they were shooting it, Terry Gilliam said that the sun was about to come up, and they were on a strict schedule, so they literally had one take to do it. So Robin Williams, he did it in one take, and it was great, and then Terry Gilliam was like, okay, let's move on, and Robin Williams apparently like freaked out and had like a complete breakdown, and Terry Gilliam had to like console him and be like, it's, it's going to be all right, because, um, you know, we're used to seeing him in, in phone him in roles like, I don't know, fucking RV or... What's the married... The license to wed. License to wed or you know, oh, shit like wow. that. I forgot about that one. Yeah, t- never forget. He's in some president movie, too. Or he's yeah, Mr. Asshole. Man of the uh, Year. Yeah. Man of the Year. <laughs> oh, holy shit. <laughs> Which is... That movie's directed by somebody important. It's like... It's, it, it might be... I think it's... I think it's uh, uh, Barry... Um, ah, the guy who directed Barry Rain Man. Yeah. 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 yeah, there you go. He used to be important. Yeah, yeah, he used to be important. And then he made Envy. There you go. Um, but anyways... <laughs> We, we really we tend to forget about when he does get these smaller roles, how much he really throws himself into them. So things like The Fisher King. Um, I wrote about World's World's Greatest Dad, which I think he's brilliant in. So good. That was good. Uh, yeah, Death to Smoochie. He's, he's great in that. So, yeah, you want to talk about World's Greatest Dad? <laughs> world's Greatest Grad? I don't know <laughs> if there's enough that I could say about World's Greatest Dad that wasn't already written about in a piece that you wrote, Steve. By an incredibly which was very good. handsome man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's definitely for me. I mean, I think and I think a lot of people have written about it in the wake of his death, just because it's a highly poignant film. Yeah, yeah. Knowing what happened to him mm-hmm. or what he did, um, Death to Smoochie is definitely one of my favorites as well. I haven't watched it in a really long time, but mm-hmm. um, holy shit, I really just, I really just for the reason of just enjoying it, and yeah. it kind of came at this point, you know, in the early 2000s where I think he was really trying to shed sort of that, like, Jack and Patch Adams kind of stuff he'd been doing Oh, Jack, in the late you mean 90s. Francis Ford Coppola's greatest movie? <laughs> right. <laughs> the old... F- <laughs> Which, I don't know, I keep thinking... Nah, I'm not going to talk about that scene with Jennifer Lopez where he tries to make out with her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather talk about the scene where he farts in a coffee can? I forgot about that scene. Bill Cosby's in Jack. I did. I forgot about that. Yeah, this is like his therapist or something. Memories, precious memories. Um, <laughs> I got hey, I'm sorry. I, did, I completely derailed no, you. No, I'm sorry. My Jack joke. Well, just like the early 2000s, kind of saw Robin Williams doing things like Death to Smoochie, just a very unhinged character. Mm-hmm. One hour photo. One hour photo. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, insomnia. Yeah. Um, and I think like a few straight to DVD things that were like sort of, hey, he's playing crazy roles now and he's not yeah. uh, he's not for your family anymore yeah um, especially one hour photo it's the no, that's definitely not for your family no. <laughs> bleeding out of the eyes 
defecating in your toilet while your family's gone. Yeah. Well, you know. No, but, uh, everybody poops. <laughs> no, that's true. That's that way. He's just an everyman. <laughs> For, like, World's Greatest Dad, though, I actually watched it uh, years ago based on uh, Steve Cuff's um, recommendation, and I thought, just based on the poster, that it was a PG movie... Because it looks like the poster for RV2, mm-hmm. uh, minus the RV. But w- until you read like the words in the background and you find out that it's like terrible things. Um, yeah. And then you watch the movie and five seconds in, you're like, oh, this is rated R. Uh, <laughs> but very rated R. But that movie is, is just like such a great example of great screenwriting. Mm-hmm. It, I don't. I don't know. It. It just. It sets up this scenario that would be hard for any actor to bring empathy to himself, and Robin Williams does it amazingly in that. Yeah. A little trivia about that movie, and you can look this up if you go to the "You Made It Weird" podcast. But when uh, Pete Holmes is interviewing Bobcat Goldthwait, he talks about how Robin Williams insisted that he shaved his entire body for that final scene. Oh, that's too bad. Or not the final scene, but the, the scene where he, yeah, scene yeah, where he uh, jumps in the scene. You uh, get to. Sees stuff. His stuff, yeah. You you do you do you see, see his stuff. Uh, yeah, you can, there's like there's some taint and some some shaft. <laughs> yeah, just a little quick wiggling mm-hmm. in the water. Yeah, a little bit of pork, a lot of beans. But uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So on that note, uh, <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> rest in peace, pork and beans. Um, oh God, I should not have dropped that. Let's talk a little bit about The Simpsons. Have you heard of The Simpsons, Steve? It's this uh, this cartoon. Is that like show. Family Guy? It's it's kind of like it's more like uh, uh, what's I almost said World's Greatest Dad. Uh, American, American Dad. American Dad. American Dad. But it's more like the Cleveland Show, really. Um, God, <laughs> you don't like the Cleveland Show? Here's my favorite thing about the Cleveland Show. There's when it's on like syndicated television. There's usually two or three good shows that lead up to it. Like I think it's actually it's like Seinfeld, Simpsons, and then the Cleveland Show comes on. And no matter where I am in the apartment, I hear the, the beginning of the song for the Cleveland show, and I just, like, scream, and I have to run away <laughs> and turn it off. Uh, but anyways, so FXX, not FX, totally different channel here, they ran a 24-hour, like, Simpsons marathon. 12-day. 12-day, yeah. Uh, Is it still running yeah, right now? Yeah, it's still running right now. So, I mean, basically all day, all night, for 12 days, they're showing every single episode of The Simpsons. And the reason why they're doing this is it's to promote this new addition to the FX app called uh, Simpsons World, I believe, where you can watch any episode of The Simpsons that you want. And it kind of works on the same principle as like HBO Go. Like If you have HBO, you can have HBO Go. As long as your cable provider has FX, you can have this Simpsons thing. Uh, so it, it's been kind of interesting... For me, because I've always, I've enjoyed The Simpsons and I watched The Simpsons, but I've never been like a hardcore Simpsons guy. It's kind of like, it's on, so I'm watching it. And I think is that's pretty much your experience with the show? Uh, mine, mine would be even less than that. Like I had been exposed to that when I, when I was younger, but I wasn't allowed to watch it in my home because um, when I was too young to remember now, I was in the grocery store with my mom, and I pointed at something on the shelf, and I said, what the hell is that? And that was the end of the Bart Simpson days <laughs> oh, for me. Oh, no. Did you tell her to eat your shorts? <laughs> <laughs> no. You better lay a finger on my butterfinger, Mom. <laughs> no, so so uh, the fact that I, I couldn't watch it might account for... Um, I, I have a weird relationship with The Simpsons where... 
I yeah, I'll watch it in the background, but I'm, I'm not big into it. But uh, sadly, like probably a lot of that is due to like the fandom, what that has manifested itself as, mm-hmm. rather than the actual content of the show. Yeah, where it's it seems like people who are like huge fans of The Simpsons seem to think that they just understand comedy, and this is the pinnacle of comedy, and, yeah. and it's all it's all downhill from here. Mm-hmm. Well, and. <laughs> The funny thing with Simpsons fans is, and you'll hear this from anybody, whether they're like a you know a casual fan or the hardcore fans, always say, "Oh, well, the, the first like nine seasons are brilliant, and then after that, it all goes downhill." And except the first is terrible. Yeah, that's that's what I'm always thinking. It's like literally go back and watch the first season of The Simpsons. Um, it's it's kind of like going back and watching the first season of South Park. You're just like, how how did this ever get popular? It's huh. fucking horrible. It's just catchphrases and bullshit and. It's not well written or well done. The jokes aren't very good. And it makes me wonder if, you know, is did The Simpsons really get bad after season 9 or 10? Or did their fan base start getting old? <laughs> because, I, you know, I mean, after watching it on this marathon, it's like, you know, there's, there's certainly there's some quality dips throughout the show. But, I mean, there's still later seasons where there's there's quality episodes it's just the humor's different because they're talking about different things it's mm-hmm. not you know so yeah grumpy old fanboys that's and, that's fun and it was always it was always kind of like SNL where um even at the height of my wa- my watching of either of those shows uh one week it would it would just be fantastic mm-hmm. and then it was just so inconsistent that it it, it I don't know yeah Turns out, goes. Steve, what's your experience with The Simpsons? I, I, I gave up on it when I was like about ten years old. Look at you, you fucking hipster. <laughs> well, <laughs> I seem like I seem to remember like being younger, and it would always change. They would always like Fox would always change whatever night it was on. So it was like, oh, well, it's on Thursday nights now. Now it's mm-hmm. on Sunday nights, and I just that was too much for me to handle. <laughs> and, Couldn't keep your schedule straight. But I do remember watching it regularly, and I. Th- pretty much stopped watching it regularly, I think just because my parents stopped watching it. Oh. And I don't think it was because necessarily dip in quality, it's like, I think they just kind of like, ah, we're moving on. Yeah, yeah. So, they're they're rolling out the Simpsons network now, and one of the big fears is that it's going to kind of go down the road of um, some of the other specialty uh, streaming services that have not done so hot. And I, I can understand the fear there, because it's, it's getting a little bit annoying how many streaming services we yeah. have to juggle? It's it's mm-hmm. it's terrible, you know. And, and the whole thing is is before you'd get something like Hulu and Netflix because oh it's just so much easier to deal with than cable. And now we're getting to the point where there's so many different streaming services. It's almost like we're it's it's almost like a, a a la carte version of cable where we're just paying for some things and things over here, and all of a sudden you're paying for five different streaming services. Um, and people are worried that it's going to end up like the WWE network where they don't meet uh, a specific quota of subscribers in order to kind of sustain it. Uh, so, Steve, can you actually... I mean, you you have the WWE Network, because I think you bought it by accident, if I'm not mistaken? I signed up for the free <laughs> week. <laughs> I signed up for the one-week free trial, and uh, I forgot to cancel it. So <laughs> I'm stuck in a six-month contract. And I emailed them and I pleaded with them, said, please, let me yeah. get out of this. But And Vince McMahon said that he owned your ass. Oh. <laughs> He's wiping his ass with my $10 bills every month. Yeah, he actually, he actually picked up the phone and was like, Steve Coleman, you can kiss my ass! 
That was my Vince McMahon. And I'm still recovering from the <laughs> traumatic the, experience. One of the problems with all these additional streaming services is that like the manufacturing can't keep up with it. So mm-hmm. people, whether they buy a Blu-ray player or say you have Apple TV like that have Wi-Fi on them, uh, you're like, this is how I watch streaming. But they they won't have like Apple TV will update, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're going to get everything. They don't have Amazon Prime and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So if you buy a Blu-ray player that has Wi-Fi, you might only have Hulu and Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big fucking mess. I think that uh, the Simpsons network should be okay, and here's why. Uh, and this is just kind of what separates it from the, like the WWE network. First of all, it's they're not building their own infa- infrastructure to like support this thing. It's not just the Simpsons app. It's like the FX app or whatever. So they, they have the streaming service in place already. All they're doing is adding The Simpsons. Uh, they've got a bunch of fan-specific bullshit that I think would benefit the WWE Network a lot, like commentary um, from all the creators, and you know, they're going to put The Simpsons movie on there, and there's just all kinds of little bells and whistles, so that's nice. Also, FX and Fox, same company. It's not costing them any money to license this shit. Mm-hmm. So basically all they're doing is they're putting it up there and they're saying, okay... Here it is. There's some, you know, there's some commentary. If you already pay for cable, which you probably do, then you get this for free, and there's ad streaming on it. So then they get the ad revenue from that. So it's a thing they already own for people who are already cable subscribers, and they just make ad revenue from it. So I don't see it failing. I don't know how wildly popular it's going to be, but it seems like it should be okay. I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. Whereas, well, I mean, something like the WWE Network is, it's. It's a fucking pile of shit. The app is a pile of shit. It's horrible. Like, it's really poorly designed. Uh, go, go ahead. What the, the, another big problem with the Simpsons thing is that, well, I, I've seen a lot of people, like, tweeting about this while they're watching the marathon, is that they're mentioning that they already own all of the DVDs. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be like us getting a subscription to, like, the Seinfeld Network. Like it, it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, because you already own it. Yeah, and those were so mm-hmm. prolific or so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you know, that, I, I think that's that's a valid that's a valid complaint. And the other thing is, is for people like me, the casual fan who's not super hardcore, I've kind of gotten my fix in the last week. Like right, I'm not right. going to have to go out and get it. And the other thing with The Simpsons is, uh, because it's just one show, I could hop on the Pirate Bay right now and download a torrent of every episode. Mm-hmm. Not that I would say you should do that, but I'm just saying, like, I could do that. It's not hard. Whereas if you have the WWE Network, there's all this different shit spread out over, like, 30 fucking years or more. Mm -hmm. It would be impossible, impossible to get all that. So, I mean, the thing is with WWE is all they have to do is, if they could add just a few more things, it would be fine. But this is how inept the app is. So... When you start the app on your tablet, you have to be in vertical mode. Okay, <laughs> if you flip it over to the side, it's like fuck you. I'm not flipping. All right. So, are you testing this out right now? Um, and, and this, I mean, this is just my experience from um, from my Amazon Fire tablet thing. Maybe it's different on the iPad, but you have to be in vertical mode. Is is that how it no, is? No, I always have to be in horizontal mode. Actually. Okay. See, that's weird. Now, when you start, when you actually start the um, whatever like pay per view or, or thing that you're watching. That's always in horizontal mode, so then you have to rotate it. It's just little things like that that are just super aggravating and really a pain in the ass to, to deal with. You can't search for things. Like, if I search for Hulk Hogan, they're not going to tell me anything. Um, you know, it would be nice to have, like, the option to look for his matches or whatever, and I, I can't do that. So it's just really 
I don't know. It's awful. It's unintuitive. They don't have a bunch of different things that would make it a lot better. Where did he go? Sean just got up and left. I think I think he's upset because we're talking about wrestling. He doesn't like wrestling. I don't think he likes wrestling very much. Which is weird because, I mean, from my experience, Sean is really into oily muscle boys. <laughs> so I don't understand why he wouldn't. I mean, you'd think like an entire network that's dedicated to men covering themselves in baby oil and rolling around on the ground with each other. You'd think that would appeal to him. Well, maybe he doesn't like us talking shit about it. That's true. We are criticizing the WWE Network right now, so it's entirely possible that he, he got upset and walked out. Or maybe he has to pee, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I, the other thing is that with w, I mean, both Simpsons Network or whatever it's called and WWE Network are narrow casting. Um, but I think... WWE Network has a far more narrow demographic, and the fans who are big fans of the product are only going to use it for a few months, and once they've watched everything they want to see, there's no reason to hang around unless they're producing more content that's interesting and Mm -hmm. keeps people around, and they're very slow at doing that. Yeah. They They need more original content, and even the archival stuff, like, they're missing probably 80% of ECW's uh, television and pay-per-views. And then in addition to that, there's no, like, where's, where's the Attitude Era Raw episodes? There's none. None. Which is a big problem, because people love that shit. That's, I mean, that's a big reason why they would sign up. Uh, so without that, you're not going to rope people in. And I think if you had some commentary tracks, too, can you imagine, like, especially the old stuff, like old Saturday Night Main Event, if you, you know, drag me and Gene Oakland's geriatric ass into a studio for a day. And, and swollen arm. Yeah, and you just had him just kind of hold <laughs> his arm and... Um, and just talk about, you know, what's going on because there's so much weird shit. I'm gonna go off on a brief wrestling tangent here, so just hold on, hold on to yourself, Sean. Uh, here's a great example. I watch the old '80s Saturday Night Main Events sometimes uh, before I go to bed. I kind of like fall asleep to it or whatever. I watched some really weird shit the other night. I think it's it's one of the early episodes of Saturday Night Main Event. So the first match of the night is Hulk Hogan. Post WrestleMania, when he's like the biggest cultural figure in the fucking world, defending his title against Nikolai Volkov. So that's the first match. That's not the main event. That's the first match. And then, and then, this is the same episode where uh, the wrestler Uncle Elmer, who is an associate of uh, <laughs> Hillbilly Jim, he gets married, and, and it's it's totally fucked because. For some reason, I guess Mean Gene thought he could play a piano, or at least he told someone that he could. So he's trying to play the, uh, you know, the the wedding song, the dun, 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 and he's fucking it up, like really bad, really, really, really bad. And Jesse Ventura is on commentary. He's like, "Wow, Mean Gene sure can't play at all. God, how many bad notes is he gonna hit?" And he's talking shit about him. somebody throws garbage at the wedding procession. Uh, at one point, they're trying to do the vows, and Uncle Elmer can't hear anything, so the guy's like, you know, do you, to, to have and to hold, and sickness and in health, and he's like, I can't hear what you're saying. Like, it's just, it's a disaster. It's so hard to watch. And if, if they had some sort of commentary track where you could you could bring in people who are actually there, whether it's Vincent Van or Mean Gene Oakland or whatever, Hulk Hogan, whatever, and just have them talk about what's going on, because that show is fucked. It doesn't make any sense. So, but, I mean, they don't have that, so. 
Nothing there for me. I really want to see this right now. You, you need to watch it, Steve. I mean, you of all people will really appreciate that. Okay, enough about professional wrestling. Sean's got a throbbing erection just thinking about those muscle boys right now. Uh, hey, guys, let's talk about video games. Or, or things that aren't video My games. My favorite Lana Del Rey song? Yeah, your favorite Lana Del Rey song. <laughs> your favorite Lana Del Rey song. Uh, so I wrote an article about Mountain. Do you guys know what Mountain is? You want me to tell you about I, Mountain? I do now, but please. Okay, so there is a game, and you can get it on your iPhone or your Android phone, or if you have a PC, you can get it on Steam, and it's called Mountain. And Mountain is, I mean, the name pretty much says it all. You pay your 99 cents, and you essentially get a mountain. And you can zoom in on your mountain. You can zoom out on your mountain. Uh, you can rotate around your mountain and look at it. Uh, there's a day-night cycle. There's weather, for some reason. And can you access those immediately, or you have to wait? Um, they just, they just, it just happens. Like as okay. time passes, um, there's snowstorms and rain, and things will start to grow on your mountain. You'll get little trees and things like that. And at the, there's this day-night cycle, and every morning your mountain will say something to you, um, which it could be anything, you know. So just these these little quips, and that's pretty much it. Also, like my wife. <laughs> that's just like my wife. Oh, it does sound like your wife. She just sits around, you can't do anything else with her, and she talks every morning, and then I don't want to listen. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I also found out that the, uh, like the bottom two rows of, of, of keys on the keyboard, they actually turn into like a real keyboard, like a musical one, so you can play songs if you want to. And, I, and those seem to speed up time. So the more you play, then the more messages your mountain sends. So you play like Time you. Passages by Al Stewart? You could totally do that. <laughs> totally. I was mostly just playing yes songs over and over again. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've often been referred to as the Rick Wakeman of Mountain. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> people, people have said that. Uh, no one said that. So anyways, there, there's, there's not a lot to it, really. Uh, I also found out after I wrote the article, as time passes, uh, things start crashing into your mountain from space. So at first I got an asteroid... And then I got a traffic cone and like like an ironing board and just all this weird shit started sticking in my mountain. Uh, so I, I don't know what that's about. But anyways, it's this game. It was created by the guy who did the fake video game in the movie Her. So mm -hmm. I mean, same same guy. He's he's kind of a graphic artist or whatever, and he, mm -hmm. and he decided to come out with this. And people are very very angry. Is this his first video game? Yeah, this is his first real video game. And oh. people people are very very angry because. You can't do stuff. And they keep saying, it's not a video game. It's not a video game. It's not a video game. Don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job, buddy. You can't make a game. There's no guns. Uh, but it, it just, it really bothers me. It really rubbed me the wrong way. Because this is a, it's, it's a big thing in, in the video gamer community. Uh, or as I like to call them, the League of Extraordinary Shitheads. Uh, <laughs> They have a very n narrow definition of what a game has to be. Like they have this weird like threshold of interactivity that you have to have in order for it to be a game. And I've never heard or seen anything like it before. I mean, when you think of movies, uh, fucking Andy Warhol's just set up a camera and shot a building for God knows how many hours, and then released that as a movie. Oh, I love that. Empire. <laughs> yeah, Empire. There you go. There you go. So I mean, things like that, or I mean, there's all kinds of experimental cinema from like, like you know the 1920s onward. Where people are just like, oh, you know, that's cool, whatever. But 
I mean, are people sitting around today on, on film forums going, that's not a movie because nothing's happening. It's nothing like Spider-Man 2 at all. People don't I do that. Spider-Man 2. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, Spider-Man 2 is really good. But, I mean, the point is, and I, I think movies are, are a good comparison because in film, there's you have your experimental movies or your indie movies or whatever, and then you have your big budget stuff. So, I love Spider-Man 2. Steve, you love Spider-Man 2. Apparently, maybe, or maybe you just said that. Are we talking about the movie or the game? Uh, the, the, the movie. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, not that one. Oh, well, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Spider-Man 2 is good, but, I mean, we can live in a world where Spider-Man 2 exists, or Guardians of the Galaxy exists, or The Dark Knight exists, and then, you know, like, Boyhood mm-hmm. exists, like, and no one's upset. Am I right? I mean, no, right. One's, no one's too angry about Boyhood existing. Well, it's is, it, is it because... Video game is such a new medium that people don't like. E- even the biggest champions of video games, or what they think of as video games, don't think of them as expressions. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. It's it's kind of a twofold thing because it's it's a newish medium, uh, and then on top of that, it, it's always sort of been like an outsider thing. Mm-hmm. So if if you go back to you know like, I don't know the 1980s or even in the 1990s when I mean, most video games were played by adolescent teenage boys, essentially. Uh, and it was because, you know, they, they couldn't make the football team or they were socially awkward and, you know, girls didn't want to touch their peepees because they were weird. And so they got upset, so they went in their basement and they played Final Fantasy or whatever. And that's fine. You know, oh, it th- happens to adolescents. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah, adolescents. Oh. And Steve Coleman. Uh, what? <laughs> Or any neckbeard fedora wearing <laughs> shitbags out there. Um, Me. <laughs> but the point is, the point is, is you know, they a lot of people they kind of got into video games because they were able to have these power fantasies and they were able to go to you know all these different places and stuff, and they weren't judged. You know, you could be um, an orc in World of Warcraft and nobody would call you a fucking wussy boy and stuff you in a locker, and that's great, that's wonderful. But now we've gotten to a point where basically fifty percent of the people who play video games are women. Okay. And that's starting to bother people. Video games are not... It's not outsider shit anymore. It's its mainstream. My goddamn mother plays fucking Candy Crush. You're, n- you're not an outsider anymore. Sorry, Mom. Uh, <laughs> My goddamn mother. <laughs> she crushes fucking candy like you wouldn't believe. We call her the steamroller. Anyway. Oh, what a saga. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. The point is... So it's almost like they're panicking. They're upset because it's not their outsider thing anymore. They can't. It's not their boys' club. They can't say no girls allowed anymore because everybody plays video games. So now it's like they're trying to separate. You know, you have your, your Candy Crush and your Angry Birds over there, and oh, those aren't those aren't video games. Those are casual games. And you have things like uh, Mountain and Gone Home, Dear Esther, Proteus over here, and those aren't video games. Those are art games. It's a totally separate thing, Sean. And basically the point is, eat shit. Um, all video games aren't games in the traditional sense. And yes, they started off that way. So if you look at old video games, they're, they're all based off of either traditional board games or traditional sport games. And that's, that's how they started. That doesn't mean that that's what they are from now until the end of fucking time. Uh, so just, I mean, get used to it. This isn't changing. So stop trying to just say, oh, get Mountain out of the way. It's, it's ugh. Mm-hmm. It's not doing it. It's not even taking up store space. It just exists. Why right. do you have to go on internet forums and like shit yourself? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
That's my that's my big rant for for the did day. Did Aaron Sorkin write that? He did. He did. That was <laughs> that was legitimately well done. Though. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, and, and it kind of ties it ties into the gender thing with video games too. You know, like um, Anita Sarkeesian, she's a, a cultural critic. She's got a master's degree, and she puts out these really just straightforward, totally not controversial in my mind, uh, feminist critiques of video games. Just little YouTube videos, and literally, she had to leave her apartment for the better part of a week and her parents had to leave their home because somebody like posted both their addresses on Twitter and was like I'm gonna fucking come to your house and kill you and rape you because you said my video games are misogynistic which in itself is just like <laughs> brain explosion yeah, uh, yeah so it, it, it's the same it's the same group they don't want art games and uh, they don't want ladies around basically hey Steve didn't somebody write about that on Optimism Vaccine once why yes someone did it was me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's Similar problems. And it's just fucking annoying. I just I can't fucking deal, man. And they're like, no, it's about journalistic ethics and integrity and all this stuff. Like, Eat shit. You grew up on Nintendo Power, the fucking propaganda magazine of all propaganda <laughs> magazines. You're not allowed to talk about journalistic ethics. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> I'm just going to start screaming into the microphone and everything's just going to be peaking in red for the next hour. Uh, we're going to wrap things up, actually. Let's talk about what we're going to be putting over, which is uh, what we're going to recommend to our, our legions and, and legions, our giant, <laughs> massive, throbbing army of listeners. So, Steve, what are you putting over this week? What I'm putting over is a... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so nervous to talk about it. I'm not nervous, but uh, I feel like... Fetish pornography. Do. <laughs> yes. Okay. Snuff. Um, that's next week. Eight millimeters. Sorry, Nicholas. I'm sorry. Well, legitimately, this is an album that I just discovered, and I think it's from like 1982, uh, by this band called Heaven Seventeen. They're sort of part of the British new wave, new romantic scene, but they were far more political than I had realized, mm-hmm. and they, they never really were popular at all here in the U.S. But um, I was at a club in Chicago recently. <laughs> where they played a song off this album. The album's called Penthouse and Pavement. And um, it sounds really good, but there's also like a lot of very interesting leftist sort of messages in there oh, that you wouldn't expect from like a, a dancey new wave pop band. So kind of like Midnight Oil, but not shitty? Exactly, <laughs> like Midnight Oil, but not shitty. You can dance to it, and there's actually some substance there and uh, these are hmm. uh, the groups Heaven 17 sprang from Human League mm-hmm. and not saying anything bad about Human League but you don't exactly go to them for you know criticism on you know the extreme right of the UK in the <laughs> 80s yeah um, yeah I've been listening to it a lot lately so check it out alright sounds or good don't. they're gonna get so much fan mail I know I that they're excited. I mean, and the big question on my mind, Steve, is how can you sleep when your bed is burning? <laughs> Sean, what are you putting over this week? <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my big, my big question was why, why wasn't the eight millimeter sequel called sixteen millimeter? That's a good question because it was just eight millimeter too. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. I'm writing a letter to my congressman. <laughs> <laughs> what are you putting over, Sean? Um, I have recently had a resurgence in listening to. The Halo Benders, which is a 90s indie band that was the uh, combination of uh, Doug Marsh of Built to Spill and Calvin Johnson of Beat Happening. 
both um, both bands were in the burgeoning indie scene and very very important bands of of that movement and what's important is that they they both were entirely they they had entirely different mm. aesthetics one was was very like technical but but still like poetic and the other one was not technical at all like the least amount of technicality you can possibly imagine in a band and very very harsh and and not sweet and um basically both both band members um sing together they almost um i don't they have like duets and they're just they sound completely different and it's and it's very sweet and um uh, they made three albums um god don't make no junk don't tell me now and the rebel's not in um and they they sort of get a little less rough around the edges which is not a good or bad thing um but they are very endearing and you should check them out if you haven't heard them good choice fucking love the halo benders all right this week i'm putting over a couple of things first thing i'm putting over is uh steve coleman doing karaoke uh particularly uh tears for fears you've never heard tears for fears until you've heard steve coleman sing tears for fears uh, incredible job this week, Steve. I just oh, I had boy. I had to say something. It was it was well, amazing. Likewise, your Neil Diamond. <laughs> yeah, we really we really brought. Uh, I I tried to do a real. Uh, that was like my, my dad karaoke moment because you know Neil Diamond is a crowd pleaser, but I, I feel like my peak that evening was was Toto because, I mean you know Africa right. <laughs> Shout out to Ebola. Um, so <laughs> too soon. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm putting over Steve Coleman karaoke, and I'm also putting over uh, Film Crit Hulk, who you can follow on Twitter, and he writes for Badass Digest, and he wrote a really, really great article on Do the Right Thing, uh, which I'm not going to talk about because I'm not going to do it justice, but it's so good that Spike Lee read it, and he said it was the best thing that anyone has ever written about Do the Right Motherfucking Thing, which a lot of people have written a lot about, uh, so that's really cool, and I think you should probably check it out. So that's pretty much it for the OpFat cast this week. Uh, we will be back soon, eventually, at some point. Do you want to talk about what we're working on? Or? Oh, fuck. We should talk about what, what are you, what are, yeah, what the fuck are you working on? Tell me about it. I'm abandoning my taco project for right now, but Your I taco hope. project? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of pissed off people. <laughs> so much ground beef just. Yeah, all the cheese squirting out the end. Okay. Yeah, okay. As, ta- as Taco Bell would say, the meat ho- the meat hose was just clogged. But you, you are starting your quesarito project now, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, but apart from all of that, uh, I have abandoned the thing that I was talking about the last few podcasts. Um, but I will hopefully be doing uh, maybe a little bit more of a write up of the Devo fan convent, the devotional that I went to. But I also want to do an underrated Academy for uh, their 1982 album. Oh no, it's Devo. Fabulous. So keep an eye out. Sean, are you working on anything? Or are you just a fucking slacker who cares about school? <laughs> the latter. It's okay. We still love you. Um, I've got a couple things in the works. Uh, I, I have a video that's done, except I'm going to hold off on it because I care about YouTube hits, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be more timely in October, so I'm going to hold on to that. We've got our big dad article coming out, which uh, I've got. I, yeah, you got dad shit. I do. Yeah, I do. We both got dad shit, so we got dad shit coming. You guys got some dad uh, shit with their dads. Adam Myros, uh, he's got a big article coming on Godzilla, which he called me about, was very upset because he calculated that he put like 120 hours into Godzilla. This man watched 25 goddamn Godzilla movies Whoa. and has made, and, and, and this is this is the best thing. This is what's taken him the longest. 
he made a Photoshop header image for each one of these Godzilla movies. But for some reason, he wanted the aesthetic to look like a shitty bro Ed Hardy t-shirt. So he's got all these, like, Ed Hardy Godzilla designs. It's fucking ridiculous. I've never seen someone put something, or put so much work into something so insane. So we've got Godzilla coming. We've got dads coming. Devo. I'm just going to leave it at that. Dad's coming for Devo. Uh, we had Devo coming. we got all kinds of good shit. So OptimismVaccine.com on Twitter at OptimismVaccine. You can find Steve at Colmania. Sean is Mr. Glennis. And I'm